Are you looking to fine-tune? Whether for your business, your job, your team, or yourself, in each episode, we will be discussing different ideas and opinions using real-world examples to help you see opportunities, innovate, and succeed. Hi, it's Corby Fine, and welcome to Fine Tune. So welcome back. I've taken a few months off of my podcast for a whole bunch of reasons. And one of them was really to think about what I wanted the new format to be. And I think you'll see as I start off with new guests and new conversations, we're going to focus a little bit more on quick hits and things that you can actually do to to change the trajectory of your business, of your life. Little things, things that everyone can take away and learn from. And my first guest today I happened to meet over the summer. We had a great conversation. We were talking about marketing and transformation and agility. And something really struck in what he said to me that that said he has to be the first person that I get back on my podcast when I relaunch in the fall. Michael Roberts is with me today. He is the chief marketing officer of MetLife, a member of the company's executive leadership team. He's leading global brand and marketing for the organization, really focused on designing you know, value-driven solutions to help MetLife build ultimately, uh, you know, amazing and remarkable and enduring customer relationships. It's a it's a big role. It's a big task. Prior to MetLife, Michael was with the Vanguard Group as the CMO for the Retail Investor Group. He's also been with Bank of America Merchant Services. An amazing career. Michael, w- welcome to the podcast today. Corby. Thanks so much. You know, I, I look back really fondly on our, our conversation from this summer and so happy to be able to be here to continue. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. And you're, I believe, in New York today, which is where you're based out of. I'm in Toronto, so we've got a, a nice international conversation going too. Why don't you yeah. just describe briefly so everyone understands your mandate? What are you doing at MetLife and, and maybe a little bit about MetLife for those that aren't totally familiar with the organization? Yeah, happy to, Corby. So as, as you mentioned, I'm the global chief marketing officer for MetLife. MetLife is a, you know, a 70 plus billion dollar diversified insurance company that has operations in about 40 markets. It serves in the U.S. 96 of the Fortune 100, 85% of the Fortune 500, providing group insurance benefits. We're the largest life insurer in Latin America. We serve over 20 million customers in um, in Asia with, with a big presence in Japan. So we're a, we're a global life insurer with a diversified product set and, and businesses that make up, you know, kind of an amazing portfolio of opportunities to, to, as we say, live our purpose, which is helping our customers have a more confident future. Yeah, it's a, it's a great purpose. And I think organizations ultimately, and it's, you know, it's proving out in the metrics and, the financial results that actually live their purpose are seeing seeing the downstream benefits of that. There's an interview question that I ask a lot of people when I'm interviewing. So anyone who's listening who's yeah. ever going to apply for a job, just on my team anyway, take note of this. I often <laughs> ask people, you know, there's something in your current job or maybe your previous one that you just, you don't think is right. You know, you don't think something's operating right. You don't think there's a meeting cadence, a, a process. And really, the question I ask people as the kicker is, you know, so what did you do about it? And it's not so much that you solve every problem, but that you're willing to take the chance to try and raise the issue and find better ways to do things. So as we talk about making changes that can lead to better outcomes, can you think back in your career 
about a particular situation where you said to yourself, there's just something not working. It's not going right. It's a product. It's a process. It's something with the structure. And what did you do to try and make it better, ultimately, for everyone involved? Yeah. So it's, it's such a, and first of all, Corby, that's a great question. I think, I think everybody should, should really think about how they would answer that question and what are the five you know, kind of examples, because that pattern of how to think about improvement, I think, is a really, really kind of important self-examination that reveals kind of a lot about, you know, how we process information and the mental models we use in order to, um, in order to drive, you know, kind of the results that we, uh, that we're trying to drive both in, in, in life and in, and in business. I'm going to go back to a situation I had where I was running a, you know, a, an organization and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, be purposefully vague in some of the specifics of the innocence and in of some of this. Um, but, um, you know, where I saw kind of a, an organization that had a, an amazing amount of talent in it, but was just positioned and was operating in a way that, you know, where the people in the organization, the talented people in the organization weren't happy the partners of that of that organization were not happy and nothing was really working kind of the right way it was it was just a you know kind of uh, a situation where and this is a an it was an interesting observation kind of a, this was you know reasonably early in my marketing career where i couldn't find a pattern of things not working um which which then tells me that it's completely out of control when you can find a pattern of things not working, then you can start to follow the pattern and understand kind of the root causes and those things. But, but what I saw was that there was no pattern and it was problem after problem after problem within, within this organization. It was a digital organization. So, so I, I realized that I needed to kind of change the whole organization structurally. And so what I did was I started kind of at the at the top and moving really really quickly to find new leadership and you know and mix new leadership in with the old leadership and so we had this interesting process of of designing a, a couple jobs and then we kind of interviewed some some people we found people that we thought we liked and then we put them in a room together to solve problems together to see if they could work and then I hired a, essentially a block of uh, of people at the same time in order to replace the leadership and then that team eliminated 100% of the jobs in the organization and had uh, everybody reapply for new jobs in a in a new organization and while traumatic you know we you know for for a moment what we found at the end of that process is that the entire system changed and you know the, the talented people in the organization found you know, better, more appropriate places to add value. The processes were able to be looked at from a fresh perspective. And in the end, you know, we had much more engaged group that was delivering outcomes for the business in a way that, that they, they weren't able to before. And so this was a situation where we had to kind of change everything at once. There was very little loss of resources and, and jobs in that in that whole situation, and and we found that people were a lot happier at the end. It's almost like we had you know hockey players playing lacrosse and and basketball players playing tennis, and so once we got everybody into the right sport, doing the right doing the right thing, it was a, it was a lot better outcome. 
See, that's how I know you're a true marketer because you know I'm a Canadian and you started with hockey. That's very talented. <laughs> hockey, of you. Thank, thank you. I, I love it with Amer- when Americans talk hockey. Let me a quick follow up on that. You, you mentioned mixing yeah. the new leadership with the old leadership. So when you think yeah. about hiring and talent acquisition, how important is it for you to think about knowledge and expertise in the vertical or technical area versus capability and capacity with fresh or maybe distinct and different backgrounds? How do you mix that? Yeah. So, you know, in general, this is maybe a a little bit of my bias. I find that, you know, the the organization that I'm in or the group that I'm I'm leading tends to have the majority of what is needed in order to be successful. And so what I do is I look at uh, what what we have that is is working, maybe even what we have that's not working, and kind of evaluate how to how to improve that, and then look at what needs to be marginally improved. And it's generally marginal. It generally needs to be marginally improved. You know, organizations have cycles and lives of their own, and in most places that I've been, there's never been. Or in all the places I've been, there's never been ill intent in terms of the the team of staffing or what people are trying to do. Um, it's really more been about than about opportunities. So, you know, I diagnose the where the where the strengths are, um, and then go find you know kind of the the marginal changes that are needed in order to be successful. And I'll go back to the example I used before. I, I didn't say I need a whole new team. I said. Let's go figure out how to make this team more successful. And of course, we added a few people here and there. But overall, what I found is that most organizations have what they need to be successful with just a little bit of, you know, a little bit of marginal change. So that's a perfect segue into my next question, which, you know, often things are actually pretty good. They're working well. You're hitting your goals, your targets, your objectives. But if you actually believe that everything can always be made or done better, just as a general philosophy. And, you know, I I always use the iPod story of the first iPod you held in your hand. It was a pound and a half of metal and plastic with a gray screen, and it held 1,024 songs, and it was the best thing you ever had. But could you imagine holding that today? And it, it doesn't mean that what, what was good then was was actually not good. It was great for the moment at the time. But engineers and innovators and executives kept saying, you know what, how do we how do we just constantly refine and make it that much better for the future? And to this day, we're still seeing that improvement. And so if you operate your business that way, yeah. it means, you know, as a mentality, you're going to try and, and tweak and to your point, adjust things or, or find those marginal changes. So maybe... Do you ever find yourself in a situation where you're like, wow, you know, the team, the executives, the board, everybody's happy but I, I still want to try something different. I, I think there's room for improvement. And how do you identify those areas that for most executives, as you know, you and and for most people in general, that we we go to where the problem is and we 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 try to fix things. That's kind of our our nature as, as we've come up in in life and in business, as um, as I've observed, you know, me and, and others that I know. I'll I'll tell you my perspective on this question kind of was 
was informed by you know a great. You're not you're not going to get a ton of pushback and pressure. It's like are you are you are you nuts? What are you talking about? There's too much risk <laughs> versus the potential of. But look how much more engaged we can make our team. Look at the customer experience we can improve and and maybe make better financial yeah. gains. Is there is there a situation where you took the chance and said I'm going to try and make something that better that on the surface actually looks like it's humming along great. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a really interesting challenge I think for a great article that I read, you know, probably more than 20 years ago called Nobody Ever Gets Credit for Fixing Problems That Never Happen, which is a a great title a great by an article. <laughs> you know, as some of the the ways to look at systems in order to drive improvement. And in some ways it informed my perspective on on how things are always to be continuously improved. You know, there's always an investment in capabilities that's needed in order to improve, you know, kind of actual performance. And whether there's a performance gap or or not, improvement is, is something that, that can be can be constant and, and designed into a system. And so in, in some ways, I actually don't accept the idea that, you know, everything's going well. I, I kind of reject that premise. And and one of the things, you know, that's more recent in terms of management thinking and, and operating models is, is Agile. And Agile, you know, kind of has built into it a continuous iteration on products or, or whatever the Agile process is being, being applied to. So, you know, in some ways, I feel like it's a great question, but it doesn't align to my mental model of how the world works. In some ways, I feel like everything can be can be uh, can be improved, uh, you know, over over a period of a period of. I, I think there are some traps though, where where we can look at improvements, or we can look at the wrong solutions in order to drive, you know, in, improvement. And so, you know, there are there are are so many situations where we just kind of either take shortcuts or work harder rather than spending the time in investment or reinvestment in, in, in capabilities or figuring out smarter ways to work. But I think that's the, the, the lesson for me has been understand the system, figure out the intervention, avoid the, the challenge of or the, the, the trap of working harder or taking shortcuts and focus on reinvestment and, and working smarter overall. And that's you know, something that I apply to, to just about just about everything that I, you know, kind of I, I touch or interact with in, in life and business. It's understanding the system and, and really figuring out how to reinvest in capabilities and to work smarter overall. Yeah, that's it's great advice. And I I just pulled up the article and I'm gonna I'm gonna share it out with my network as well. Just note caveat, it's yeah. like it's really long, everybody. But I'm I, if, if Michael says it's a good read, it's a good read. But I, I'm gonna share it out. I found a copy. And so yeah. I guess, you know, the, the the some of that maybe takes me to my third and final in-depth question. You're in an industry insurance, not everybody really understands all of the intricacies and the complexities that go on in the insurance business. They see mascots <laughs> they see uh yeah. the, the, they it's a, it's a good podcast i just listened to on why every insurance company has a mascot which we should talk about in another conversation yeah. but you know when yeah. you think about the trends the technologies the products metlife doesn't bring in someone like you to keep the status quo and per your philosophy that you just expressed you're always trying to find those simple and complex things to do better so where where is insurance going what are those trends whatever you can tell that isn't secret sauce of the business that might enlighten yeah. us to think hey that might apply to my business too yeah i think 
I think a couple thoughts here, Corby. So one, I think uh, insurance is going the way of a lot of the rest of financial services in terms of customer experience being, you know, kind of a, a, a new, you know, not new, but an emerging kind of priority for the industry. Insurance overall has lagged in terms of customer experience. And even the insure techs that are creating great customer experiences haven't put the same sort of pressure on the customer experience that is, you know, that has happened in, in other parts of financial services and, and kind of other parts of, of the consumer economy overall. And so I think the consumer is going to be much more powerful and, and demanding in terms of the expectations, in terms of customer experience um, for for insurers um, overall. So I think that's one kind of important trend. Nothing, nothing new and nothing surprising uh, for, for others. I do think that another trend, which is, has a, a bit of a broader implication for for lots of different businesses beyond insurances, that you know our our environment is becoming more volatile, and individuals are having to manage risk kind of more proactively, their own risk as well as risk you know for their families. And frankly, you know, post pandemic protection has become more important to to lots of people, and I think. This idea of protection as, you know, core versus ancillary, I think will become something that lots of businesses are going to have to do, contend with. Um, and you, you see some businesses contending with it, you know, in, in innovative ways. And it's the, the rise of embedded insurance in, in a lot of consumer businesses where you can, you know, insure a product as you're, as you're buying. It's been in the telco space for a, a good long time, but it's spreading more broadly across different ecosystems, you're seeing things, you know, digital wellness and protection solutions that are being adopted significantly more as people see risks in the, you know, in the digital space, whether it's, you know, identity theft or other sorts of risks that they're facing from a social media perspective. And so I think, I think protection is going to become more front and center, particularly as volatility um, increases. And we've already seen that, you know, kind of as a result of the of the pandemic. And then I, I think the third thing in insurance that is part of what we'll see in the future is, you know, I think a lot more attention to generational differences in in perspectives on what insurance can and should provide. Part of this, I think, is based on demographics. We're going to live longer and longer. And so the sorts of things that we think about for protection and retirement are going to be different because retirement is going to look different. And so I think longevity is going to have a big impact on lots of industry and, and the needs of people, you know, kind of in these longer lives. And I think that's going to, that's going to be an, an important shift for, for the insurance business. But I think if your business is not thinking about what longevity means, then you're going to miss a gigantic demographic trend. Yeah, the the term embedded insurance hadn't really crossed my mind until you just said it. But I I just signed up for a 122-kilometer bike ride from Vancouver to Whistler next September. And uh, it has two kilometers of ascent. So it's like a big ride. And they offered yeah. me for $20.40 insurance on my... Yeah on my deposit of a few hundred dollars to do the ride and it would cover certain other things tied to travel, et cetera. And, you know, it, in the sense yeah. of a customer experience, coming back to your first point, I'd be, I'd be crazy not to take that thinking that it's 
12 months ahead. I have no idea what my life situation is going to be. I don't even know if I'll right. be able to book a flight, get a hotel, find a box to ship my bike, rent a bike. There's so many factors of unknown. And, and you know, you guys as an industry are so great at forecasting all of those different parameters of potential risk and change and then offering it to me in a simple high value, low cost offering that if everybody didn't take that, that was signing up, they'd be like insane. And so that whole notion of embedding it, the digital, you know, the digitization of the experience in the moment decisioning and, and actually providing value really made me feel like, wow, like that's a great customer experience. I, I would absolutely recommend this race or this, you know, an event to all of my network because there's like no risk. And I think if you right. can think about and, that in other areas, it's a, it's a great model. It, it is. And, and because it's 12 months away and we have less confidence in what 12 months away looks like than we did, I think, pre-pandemic, you know, it, it, it's something that is, uh, reflects the reality of the times that we're in. There's a need for that sort of protection. Exactly. So. Well, listen, explaining it to me was great. I, I completely, you know, see and understand through both our conversations and today's interview why MetLife wants someone like you running the helm of that future of marketing, the future of agility, the future of customer experience. Michael Roberts, the Chief Marketing Officer of MetLife, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me and, and thanks so much for all of your insights. Thanks, Corby. It's it's great to speak with you. And enjoy uh, the hockey season this year. (laughs) Take care. (laughs) I appreciate it. (laughs) Take care, Corby. You've been listening to Fine Tune. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with me on Twitter at CFine through LinkedIn at CorbyFine, or visit my website, CorbyFine.com. Fine Tune is produced by me, Corby Fine. Thanks for listening. <laughs>